3: listening to the pastor scott show podcast have any questions or comments email pastor scott now at pastor scott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m and now here's pastor scott
1: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. It's Mother's Day weekend. Alert, 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 Mother's Day weekend, in case you have forgotten. We will talk about that a little bit later, but today is Open Line Friday. That means we'll talk about whatever it is you would like to talk about. The number is 888-528-2557, 888 888-528-255. 528 2557 and we will change the subject just for you. So if you've got a comment on the news or maybe a bible question, something about Christianity or faith, maybe there's just something else on your mind today's the day for it. You can give us a call right now 888-528-2557 888-528-2557. There are so many different things happening in the news today. Obviously, probably the biggest thing is the end of Title 42, which has changed overnight. And uh, we're really just going back to Title 8, which is the actual law that is in place that restricts uh, illegal immigration that uh, it's the law that makes certain kinds of immigration illegal, actually, meaning it's illegal to come into the country unless you have the proper paperwork or you follow the actual rules on asylum and other things like that. There is an estimate that 500,000 people this year have already escaped into the country without, being, uh, without even having interaction with the border patrol, meaning they're just here. And that's a lot of people. That's more than uh, many of the cities here in the Southland. That's more than the city of Baltimore, more than uh, most cities across the country. That's significant. And thousands and thousands and thousands of people are are coming in and perhaps waiting to come in. We'll have to see how it ultimately goes. And it's chaos. There's a lot of chaos. And a lot of things are being said about it. There was a comment uh, made by Department of Homeland Security, uh, head Mayorkas, Secretary Mayorkas, uh, who had this to say that I thought was interesting. He was being interviewed by George Stephanopoulos.
4: For right now you have a lot of migrants at the border, limited food, limited water. Could this have been avoided?
2: You know, um, George this is something that we are uh, ready for uh we cannot control the movement of people uh, before they reach our border our responsibility uh, attaches once they are uh, in our custody
1: now, i don't i don't know that I, I agree with that from the standpoint of the legalities of it we can't do anything with people if they're not you here uh if they're not at our border but i don't think that i agree with the notion that we don't bear a responsibility
4: right now, you have a lot of migrants at the border, limited food, limited water. Could this have been avoided?
1: You know, see, I think it could have been avoided, but not necessarily something that would have been avoided in the last few weeks or months, maybe not even years. George, this is something that we um, were ready for. No, we're not. We're not ready for it. If we were ready for it, we would be witnessing the great work of our government and Border Patrol and federal agencies and state agencies working hard to contain and work through this crisis. Uh,
2: We cannot control the movement of people uh, before they reach our border. Our responsibility uh, attaches once they are uh, in our custody.
1: So we, you know, that last part, yeah, we, we've got things that we can do here uh, with that. But it got me thinking, you know, I think that there is some responsibility. It's not entirely our responsibility. I think each nation has to have their their own accountability for how they treat their people. I think each nation ultimately is accountable and there are leaders in each nation that I think are put there by God Scripturally speaking, and they're accountable to God for their stewardship of that leadership. I think that is a biblical notion anywhere. And the evil leaders that we have around the world—they're accountable to God. That they are not only accountable to their people or to world opinion, but also to God. There is a spiritual element to that. However, you know, there is a long history of of things in all of the you know, in every country. And I've been thinking about that in recent years and in uh, even long term. And what responsibility does the United States have, if any? Uh, In one hand, I think you could argue, well, we don't. It's not our country. But we have a lot of influence. I've been to El Salvador a couple of times. You know that the embassy that we have in El Salvador, I think this is still true, is the largest United States embassy in the world as far as the amount of space it takes up and the the stuff that's going on. It's a massive, massive uh, place. Uh, I know people who have grown up down there and on the embassy and have worked there. I've been there. We have had influence in Central America in particular for a long time, going all the way back to the Cold War and what the Russians were trying to do by coming in, going back even further than that to a certain degree, although, you know, other... uh, other European nations in colonial, uh, in colonial times have had influence, of course. But, you know, over time, uh, you have to, I think, take a look at more recently because countries can recover. They can recover from outside influence and other things. Most recently, we've had to deal with the philosophies and governance of a man who's passed away now, Hugo Chavez. Remember him? He was the president of Venezuela. And uh, he was this character who many considered to be our enemy, but we didn't always treat him like an enemy. And part of the reason things have gotten so bad in many of these countries is because they followed a philosophy of governance that he put forward. And that happened a lot during the 2000s and the 2010s. Hugo Chavez, former president of Venezuela, he influenced not just Venezuela, but other governments in Central and South America. And it was through his promotion of a socialist and anti-imperialist ideology. There was a lot of, um, you know, sort of the academic ideology, some of which that we're seeing in our country now. He was a vocal critic of U.S. foreign policy. He had a point sometimes, sometimes he didn't, but he was also a critic of capitalism. And what he did was he built an alliance with other leftist leaders in the region and he created something called ultimately the Boliv- Bolivarian Alliance for the Peoples of Our America, okay, ALBA. Uh, that was founded in 2004, and it was designed to be an alternative to uh, U.S. led free trade agreements, not NAFTA, but uh, there was a U.S. free trade agreement, free trade area of the Americas, with South America basically. And uh, the alliance brought together other leftist governments Bolivia, Cuba, Ecuador, Nicaragua, and Venezuela all got together to to work together and have some economic cooperation based on principles of solidarity, social justice, those kinds of things that we're saying. And to a much lesser degree, some countries didn't get quite on board. Honduras was getting on board. The military didn't like it and assassinated the leader, of Honduras, and uh, they didn't quite get on board with Hugo Chavez. El Salvador was starting down that road, but then uh, when the politicians saw what happened with the military in Honduras, they said, eh, maybe we won't sign on the line and become part of that group over there. However, they did go down the same socialist road with many of the same ideas. They suffered less over time, but simil- similarly, crime got so bad in El Salvador that the current president has been cracking down and has arrested 2% of the entire population as of today. Can you think about that for a minute. To stop crime in that country, it got so bad in El Salvador. 2% of the entire population are imprisoned in El Salvador today. Uh, that's how bad it got there with the breakdown of the government and breakdown of all the institutions. Uh, this is the Pastor Scott Show. You can join our conversation. 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-528-2557. Chavez's government eventually, uh, it did influence other governments and its support for these uh, leftist political movements and for a while provided financial and political support. There was a period of time when uh, there was some progress, which is what kind of brought other governments uh, on board, government in Bolivia, government in Nicaragua and uh, in Brazil. Now, since then, in the last few years, they're all disasters for all the people complete and utter disasters. Chavez's government sought to promote social programs aimed at reducing poverty and inequality in the region. When you study the the rhetoric and things like that that's being said, you know, it's the stuff that you want to say if you're running for office. I think it's the stuff that you want to do, maybe, unless you're just ultimately completely corrupt, and some of these guys definitely are. Uh, But the idea is that, hey, we want to make things better for the people. Certainly you say that to get elected. Maybe you mean it, maybe you don't. But the philosophy, if your philosophy is wrong, it won't work. If what you're trying to accomplish, like I believe that there's a lot of people in our country who really do want to help with the homeless situation. I think they really do want to create an atmosphere where we really help people who are homeless or help prevent people from getting homeless. But the reason that it's so bad, particularly here in California, is the path that we've taken through philosophies called harm reduction, uh, housing first, are wrong. They're completely wrong because they misread human beings and they misunderstand the role of government, I would say, a whole bunch of things. And that's why it's gotten so bad. Same kind of thing down there. There's this whole idea. So what what happened in uh, Venezuela is there was something called the Mission Barrio Adentro, and it was aimed to provide free health care to Venezuela's poor and marginalized populations. And the same program was replicated in other countries, Cuba, Bolivia, Nicaragua, and elsewhere. These programs expanded to health care, education, housing for the poor, and other people. Uh, And also Chavez's government nationalized key industries, the oil. And oil is huge in Venezuela. Venezuela ought to be a very wealthy nation because of their oil. It's not. Uh, Telecommunications also could be huge from Venezuela. And they use the profits from these companies, the oil profits, the telecommunications. And telecommunications has become huge in a lot of countries around the world because you can put up a cell tower and actually give people communication today. You know, instead of having to dig lines in the ground to put in phone service or cable service or other things like that, you actually have to – you can actually put up cell towers and relatively quickly uh, increase internet access and communication in countries all around the world. It's amazing. And this was a great opportunity in Venezuela to do this. And the way they were going to fund the health care for everybody and education and housing and all of that was through nationalization of these uh, industries, oil and telecommunications in particular. And for a short time, there was an actual benefit for people in Venezuela. The World Bank says that for a short time, poverty rates actually went down. However, these policies could not be afforded. And suddenly there was hyperinflation, shortages of basic goods and food, and currency devaluations. Does that sound familiar? And the argument of critics today is that this emphasis on massive social spending and nationalization contributed to all of these problems, and the government failed to implement reforms and address the challenges, plus it became corrupt, probably was already corrupt, and it's a disaster. And it's a disaster for each one of those governments. And in addition to that, they cracked down on political opposition. They put restrictions on the media, censorship, erosion of democratic institutions that were there and growing, and they became authoritarian states. And the people who lose in all of this, the people who lose with policies that are intended to help people, the people who are are the target of that help are usually the people who hurt. And so what we see is an erosion of middle class, if there even is one left, it's decimated, and you have massive poverty, where now 80% of people in Venezuela are poor. And most of these countries, the poverty has increased. That has been going on. That is one of the reasons, the poverty and the corruption and the crime and the cartels. This is why we have so many people coming up here. Because if you were down there and living there and all of this, you'd take off. You might have had hope a few years ago, maybe these policies will work and maybe you vote for it. I remember being in El Salvador. Myself and going down on a couple of trips and going to the same community and one time going to the first time in the community almost nobody had electric power at all. Uh, there was one house that I remember that had electric power you could there was it was wired into the the neighborhood and the community but you most people couldn't afford to actually pay for it. One house I saw and I remember this house because it had the wire coming down from the, the pole into the house the house itself did not have walls mostly, uh, but they had a big screen TV in there and they had cellular service so they could afford the electricity to run the TV and to charge their phones. And that's what they had. They had no walls. And uh, you, you, you see that and you realize you know how, how things are around the world. Well, we came back four years later or two years later. And the new leftist government had taken over. The way the leftist government works, though, is they say, we're going to put in all of your electricity. And that's what they did. It's not too difficult. They put it in. And then they say, now, if you don't vote for us, we're going to turn it off. So then they they give you the electricity. They give you what you need to survive. This is how leftism works. And then they threaten to take it away if you don't vote for them. See, that's that's, uh, tyranny. Well, that was what was going on. And it was interesting because the next trip I had down there, there was far more people with electricity and certain goods and services, but they were more oppressed. And it, over the years after that, and this is El Salvador, it became overrun by gangs. And that's why the new president, and he's got his own corruption problems and other things, but one of the things he's trying to do is uh, stop the gangs and he's arrested 2% of the population. What, do, what does the United States have to do with it? It's totally debatable. Okay. And people argue, and the historians and people argue about it. You know, in the 70s and 80s, our fight against communism took a lot of our time and effort, if you remember all of that. And that's the reason we've got the embassy that's so big down there and other things. We were worried about the Russians, and we didn't want nuclear weapons in Cuba, and we didn't want them in Nicaragua either. And during the 1980s, remember, that was the big deal. The Contras that we were funding, and we were against the the leftist government and Daniel Ortega, and uh, we kind of sort of defeated them for a time, except uh, today, you know who the president of Nicaragua is? Daniel Ortega. Yeah, that same guy from back in the 1980s and Ronald Reagan and all of that. And uh, he's uh, running the country into the ground. This is the Pastor Scott Show. Number is 888-528-2557. I'll get to your calls in a minute. You can call about anything you want. It is Open Line Friday. But I think that there is something that we should recognize with this crisis that's going on that is, it's a huge deal at the border, what's happening. And as a nation, we need to stand up better for what's happening in these governments. I think we're going to have to uh, be involved, but not just involved in a lighthearted way. And what I mean by that is some of the criticism over the Hugo Chavez years comes down to a period of time in uh the about 10 or 15 years ago 10 or 12 years ago when Hugo Chavez was doing his things and we were kind of wishy-washy on our approach to him and the secretary of state then was Hillary Clinton and she supported more law enforcement to try to stop some of the corruption and stuff, but she also encouraged the left-wing policies that were ultimately so disastrous. And the reason why is this, is because it's very hard to be against government health care in Venezuela when you're trying to pass government health care in the United States. See, we should have opposed those policies. We should have come up with something, even if we said, hey, uh, you guys don't know how to do this, so you should be against it. We're gonna, it would have made no sense. We're going to be able to do it in the United States because we're more robust, we're more stable, uh, we've got a better system, but you guys can't do this. You're going to destroy your country. Instead, we didn't say that. See, I think that our country needs to stand up against policies and, and, and government uh, philosophies that throughout the world and throughout the 20th century proved to be failures. And we have to stop saying, oh, you know what, I'm going to, um, we're going to support this because maybe if just different people do it, it'll turn out differently. I think we've we've seen enough failure in big government and what it causes that we should be able to start calling it insane right now to support that kind of thing. So I don't know how you feel about that, but I feel like the United States has an obligation in this hemisphere in particular to speak out for... Um, a better free market, to acknowledge the problems of capitalism, but also acknowledge that capitalism is a way that has actually brought people out of poverty. You can get people out of poverty for a short term like they did in Venezuela by paying their health bills and paying for all of their bills from the government standpoint. But if you don't have, uh, if you're paying, if you're doing that in debt, you're just going to create inflation and eventually collapse. And how are we doing in our country now? One of the reasons I think we're unable to take care of people today is because we are so badly in debt and we continue to follow policies that do not work, that go against the human characteristics. You know, if you say to people, uh, we we don't want you to feel like you can't be a drug addict if you want to, so we're going to create safe spaces for you in our cities to do drugs openly. Uh, You know what people are not going to say? People who have addictions, people who have troubles, people who have mental health issues, they're not going to say, oh, thank you for that, but I'm going to try to get well. No, they're going to move here to California, like they're doing, uh, so they can take drugs. That's what they're doing. There is, I think, some responsibility. I think future administrations are going to have to stand up for government by the people, for democratic principles that have been proven to work, however flawed they are, and they are. We cannot support philosophies of government that have proven time and time again to make people poor, to hurt people. And there's something to be said for that, and I think we are struggling with that in our own country today. 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Let's go to Nora in Orange County. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show.
5: Hi, thank you. Hi,
1: Nora.
5: Uh, listening to your show, listening to it every day on my way to work. Oh, well, very you. enlightening. But um, I, I agree. Well, what is going on? It is so crazy insane. I mean, there used to be, you know, uh, a slight difference uh, between um, the left and the right. It wasn't too far apart, you know, but now it's just it's so far apart. Our ideas are so crazy. I've never heard democracy thrown out more times in this administration than in any other administration. And, um, you know, the Constitution actually protected us from things of such nature. Um, You know, we're not a democracy, and all of a sudden, oh, you know, our democracy is in jeopardy. And it's every other word I hear from the administration about how our democracy is in jeopardy. But that's what the Constitution uh, was protecting us from.
1: Well, I think, you know— I think that we are in a place where we have we've got really far left and some really far right, you know, and there's like really far like there's there's off the cliff on both sides. But the far left right now has a lot more power uh, in the United States. And the threat about democracy, you know, I think when you are, um, you know, an interesting thing that's going on is. There's this huge argument over on CNN about whether or not they should have allowed Donald Trump to speak on that network. I don't know if you follow that, but he had a, a yeah. town hall. And I mean, they're crying about it over there. And like, they shouldn't have allowed him to speak. And CNN is actually saying, well, wait a minute. He's the front runner. You got to let him speak. And they're trying to convince, but viewers are having a hard time, people on the left. But right now, today, uh, there is a new CEO of Twitter who is somebody who has been on both sides. She's worked for the Trump administration and the Biden administration and the Obama administration. But she's also part of the World Economic Forum and has some very significant leftist ties. And there's people on the right saying, I'm off of Twitter. We can't let this person be anywhere near it. And we don't want to hear anything she has to say. Whenever we're shutting down speech, we are hurting ourselves. And we have okay. to—I think we've got to be in a country that can get back to making a good argument about things, to put things on the table and say, this works and this doesn't work. And my mm-hmm. view is that we need to move away from left and right and get back on the page of up and down. What works? And let's do that and go up, and let's discard the things that we know don't work and leave that behind. I agree. That's the I direction— agree.
5: I also think, you know, as we, the people— we need to be a little more vocal and not just, you know, it almost seems like we're being, um, you know, well, we are being silenced, but uh, we're being kind of being uh, bullied into it, where I think, you know, a lot of the public, if they spoke up, really... Um, they'd have to acknowledge it and and address it, but nobody's really saying it. We need to do
1: that. I got an example of you of some people who are doing that uh, right now, actually, in Chicago that's pretty interesting with all this. I'll play that as soon as we get back. I got to go to a break here. Thanks for calling the Pastor Scott Show. It is Open Line Friday. We'll talk about whatever it is you'd like to talk about. 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. I see your call up there, Oscar and others. I'll grab your calls as soon as the Friday edition of the Pastor Scott Show continues. Stay tuned.
3: You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at KKLA.com. or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now back to the show.
6: Politically, having over 500 people in our community would completely wipe out any interest we have. Are you aware that there are immigrant advocates at state houses all over this country who are who are advocating for non-citizen voting in yes. local elections? What if that happened here? That would change the mindset of what we as a black community, need to thrive here yeah, in Chicago. Right, yeah, right. The mayor that's a concern of ours.
5: Yeah,
6: <laughs> this is much bigger than the mayor of Chicago or Chicago Police Department. This is an effort to destroy our neighborhoods and yeah, silence yeah, yeah. our voices even
2: further. Preach.
1: That was a bunch of people at a community group in South Shore, Chicago, complaining because of all of the migrants who were being uh, brought to Chicago, they've been being brought to Chicago by the governor of Texas for a while. But now, I believe the federal government is going to be bringing people all across the country. Five hundred and thirty thousand gotaways have come across the border since October, according to uh, Homeland Security. Uh, that's huge—a number of people. Those are people we don't even know where they are, and now we're having ten thousand people a day come across the border. Where are we going to put them? Well, we're going to put them in hotels and we're seeing this happening in New York and Chicago and uh, in San Diego and Los Angeles and other places. What happens when the hotels fill up? Where are they going to go? See, I don't believe that this is compassionate because what these residents are complaining about is the other movement that's going on to have these people register to vote, if not nationally, then in local elections. And that begins to take away the power of American citizens who are here. See, this starts to unravel in every single area. And before the break, we were talking about what role the the United States has in all of this, that are we uh, – Secretary Mayorkas said he's not responsible or we're not responsible for the movement of people until they get to our border. I disagree. I think when the people who run Chicago and the people who run New York and the people who run San Francisco and the people who run uh, Los Angeles – Declare these cities to be sanctuary cities. And they say to the world, if you come here, we're not going to follow any of the federal laws with respect to immigration. I think those things are said to try to get votes and to try to uh, win people over as pretend compassion. But once the people finally arrive, what happens? Well, what happens is, is you can't take care of them, which means you're not serious about being a sanctuary city. It's one thing to say, hey, this is a place. Come here and we'll take care of you. It's another thing to say that, and then when you show up to say, ah, you know what, we can't take care of you. Uh, Turns out we weren't real serious about that, and that's what we're doing. See, and I think that the world hears, and all of these people who in the last segment we talked about why people are coming here in such large numbers, and that's just this hemisphere. There are people who are coming from uh, Europe and the Middle East— uh, the Middle East and Africa in particular, and getting into Brazil and some other countries and working their way up. That's why you see so many people from all around the world coming across the border. There's great, great trouble around the world today. But when we are putting out a message that says, come here, but then when you get here, we throw the, the sign up to say, no, we didn't mean it. We're part of that. We are part of that problem. We need to have a immigration policy that is well-stated, that makes it very clear to people that we aren't going to bend the rules. We are going to follow what the policy is. Policies are good. You can have a policy that is compassionate, that brings people in. I think that matters. I think we should have that. I think we should have a tremendous policy, particularly in this hemisphere of helping people and leveraging everything we can to remove the criminal element and the corruption from the governments in this part of the world. But we can't, if we're unwilling to say it Uh, before, The break, a caller talked about how we need to speak out. People are speaking out in Chicago. And I think that, and this is a, you know, this is a city, this isn't Republicans and Democrats. These are all Democrats. Everybody's a Democrat, mostly, uh, up there in that city. And it's good. People have to speak out um, against whoever is leading, whatever party they're in, if they're not making good decisions.
6: What's important is that we really establish that this is a humanitarian crisis. And we're here...
5: South Shore residents responded with resounding rejection. While this crisis may constitute an emergency for the city of Chicago, it does not constitute an emergency for the South Shore community. Incoming migrants have overwhelmed district police stations by the hundreds.
6: It's my turn. It's my turn. Hello. But city leaders could
5: barely eke out a word of the details about a proposed respite center at the former South Shore High School.
6: When it comes to the total number of people at South Shore at any given point in time, it is fluid. We'd start with 250, 500. How could you do that without consulting us? I am concerned with safety in
2: the area.
1: See, there are multiple issues. There's the issue of Sanctuary City. There's the issue of compassion with people coming over the border. There's also the not in my backyard. It's one thing to say, oh, yeah, bring everybody here, but don't put them in my neighborhood. It's called NIMBYism, I N-I- uh MBY, not in my backyard. We have to have consistency. We have to let our yes be yes and our no be no, and that is a huge problem for our country today. Eight 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 five two eight two five five seven is the number. Let me get to uh some calls here. Oscar and San Gabriel, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show.
7: Uh yeah, hi Pastor. Hi Oscar. Uh I wanted to say, uh, you know how the Bible says it's better to give than to receive, right? Yeah. It also says, ask and will be given, right? But it's a wisely way that we have to do it. It's like the Creator wants to bless us, right? For the reason, this situation might be happening, right? But besides that, I think we have to be wise because uh, uh, have someone wise running run the country instead of this uh, the Biden and, uh, and Hunter and these other women, you know? Because, I mean, this is the harvest of what they have done. They Definitely the Creator don't like what they have done of supporting homosexuals, Sodom, Gomorrah, this uh, lesbianism, and even going more going to, to the kids. Now they, they want to convert them to something that is not allowed according to the Bible. And this is all happening just because of them. But uh, I could say that there is one solution, and uh, the Creator has a solution for us, and someone that is really wise and was really doing a good job and taking good care, it was Donald J. Trump. I mean, he was very wise man. And, of course, we all make mistakes. We all have our up and downs, right? But, I mean, he was really taking care of everything. So uh, what I want to say is that uh, if we really want to see changes and really uh, th- don't turn the back to our creator, I mean, we need to support someone that is really wise and really interesting in helping us on this big debt and so much that is happening. Yeah. Is, that, is that any way the creator is <clears throat> about to come? So yeah. this is almost going to have an end. And just lastly, I would like to say I love CNN.
1: Oh, you love CNN <laughs> because they had that yeah. on there? Did you like CNN yeah. before? No. Oh, so you only like, like them now? now.
7: They put the, yeah, because so they put Trump to uh, to pick and to to talk. I mean, that's what's the right thing. He has the, the free right to speak. He's uh, uh good Lunge himself to be a president, and uh, now these uh, Biden and Hunter and every one of them I right. just want to block them from we'll, all the we'll, all the places. I want like to go on to Oscar.
1: Yes. I thank you for your call. I want to go on to to other calls. There, you know, the point about wisdom—it uh, it's the right question. What's the wise thing to do with immigration? Uh, what is the wise thing to do with political candidates, like them or not? Should you have them on your station or not have them on your station? Do you only have people that you like on your station or do you have people from opposing points of view on your station? Uh, what is the wise thing to do? You can ask what's right, you can ask what's ethical, you can ask what's moral, you can ask what is, you know, all those questions, but. Wisdom is the is what we are lacking in a whole lot of areas. 888-528-2557, Shelly in Los Angeles. Welcome to Pastor Scotia. Yes, Pastor, I
5: have a question for you. Yeah. If you were offered a position in the in a circle as one of his cupbearers, would you accept?
1: If... if- Donald Trump asked me to be part of his inner circle, like as an advisor or something?
5: Yes. Cup bearer. Same thing. Yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I think if any president asked me for my input, I would give it. Uh, I don't know that all of them would like what I have to say. but But I think I would say what's the wise thing to do. Uh, so, you know, maybe one day somebody will ask me for that and, uh, we'll see. Otherwise I do like what I'm doing now. And I, I like that. I get to talk to you, Shelly. Oh, okay.
4: All right. Thank you, pastor. It's an interesting, Yep,
1: yeah, it's an interesting question, Shelly. Thanks for calling the pastor Scott show. You know, what would we say if we find ourselves in a position of authority? You know, what happens when you find yourself anywhere in your company or your church or in political leadership, whatever it is, where you suddenly are the most important person in the room because you're going to say something, because somebody's asked for your input? You know, the answer is you need to leverage it towards the benefit of everybody else. The answer is you've got to leverage it towards what is wise and always drive people that direction uh, and not be afraid to say things that, uh, may, may not be accepted even by the people asking the question. I got to take a break. I see your calls, Rick and Stanley and others. I'll get back to your calls as soon as we come back. This is Open Line Friday. You can call about anything you'd like. The number is 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557. I'll be back as the Friday edition of the Pastor Scott Show continues. You're listening to the Pastor Scott
3: Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at Pastorscott at KKLA.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show.
1: You know, they point to Border Patrol's own numbers, which show that going back to October of last year, there were more than a million apprehensions, but then there were also more than 530,000 gotaways. That's roughly the, the size of the population of the city of Baltimore. How can you say that the border is not open?
2: So um, uh, we removed, returned and expelled 1.4 uh, million people last year. Ask those 1.4 million people if, if they think uh, the border is
1: open. That was uh, Secretary Mayorkas saying, well, ask the 1.4 million people that we sent back. And I kind of made me laugh because I think you probably could ask them because they're in Denver now and they're in El Paso now and they're in L.A. and they're in Chicago because they come back. That- <laughs> I know people on the Border Patrol who know people by first name because they come over the border so often, and then they send them back, and it's sort of like a tennis game going on. Just because you you sent 1.4 million back doesn't mean that one million of them haven't also returned and got away the next time around. This is all uh, uh, just a, a crisis that is going to build and build and build. All right, I got a bunch of calls. Open line Friday, 888-528-2557. Uh, Rick in Seal Beach, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show.
8: Hey, Pastor Scott. My name is Rick, and I'm over in Leisure World in Seal Beach. area. Ah, I know where you are. How here is it go. in
1: Leisure World today?
8: You know, I, I'm living large, man. I'm within five miles of my granddaughters. There's three of them under the age of five, and we spend uh, at least three days a week helping the family out, and they're over here at our place, and uh, we're loving it down here. It's uh, a great good for place. for you.
1: Yeah. All right, what's on hey, your my mind?
8: Comment, uh, my comment I was going to make is I really appreciate your perspective and the perspective that i hear i try and jump on cnn and all the other stations and Fox and spend my time trying to hear everybody's side to try and be understanding and compassionate to eat but what i'd like to hear more of would be what can we at the grassroots the guys in the trenches do you know what meetings should we try to be involved in like in leisure world here you know we go to the little public meetings they have i don't know if you know how the setup is but it's like 14 communities in the big community and you know, we try and make our voices here, and I try and talk to everybody. I've got a little bit of a disability, so I've got a walker, and it tends to bring people to me to talk. And I always talk about my faith, and I always talk about my beliefs, religion-wise and politic-wise, not in a confrontational way, but in a way that brings that dialogue going. Uh, we were in Vietnam a couple of months ago uh, and did the same thing there, on the plane, getting there, while there, and same kind of thing. And the politics— everybody's perspective that I talk with seems to be one they laugh at us and they think it's comical and there's absolutely no spine in our backbone anymore. And I'm just wondering if you had a perspective on where can a guy like me that likes to do something yeah. versus just sitting home and watching it, what can we do? Should we be writing letters to somebody? Should we be, you know, uh, running for certain commissions or business? you know, the, uh, respected or that kind of thing. So I'm going to sit back and let you talk to me and tell me what you think, because I value what you have to say.
1: All right. Thank you very much for calling and enjoy uh, your time there at uh, Leisure World. I drove by that uh, not too long ago. Uh, You know, Rick, all of us, you know, I think part of the problem is we always say, oh, we got to speak out and we got to get involved. But most people don't have time or they don't have the ability to go, say, to a school board meeting or to show up at City Hall or at the county administration office and actually sit there. Uh, you know one of the things you can do, like I said is is write letters, but actually write them you can 't what does not work is to just send out um, you know form letters that maybe you got from uh, some political organization they don 't count as more than one when they get all the same letter uh, on our program yesterday, we had uh somebody who was uh, talking about teachers, uh, if you remember, and he 's talking about regulations that are um, pending in Washington. If you go to websites, if you go to Sacramento's website, you can actually sign in and discuss events or put in your opinion. There are opportunities. We've had a couple on our show where you call in uh, and just be able to say, hey, I support this or I'm against this. Sometimes you got to give an argument, but sometimes you just need to say, hi, I'm, uh, I'm calling from uh, Leisure World and this is my opinion and that's it. This is I'm for this or I'm against this. There are things that you can do, and we try to give out those numbers uh, whenever we can um, on this program. So what I would do is you go to the government websites where they are asking for your opinion. There's a regulatory one where you you can give comment on regulations. There are committees that meet in Sacramento that take your calls, and they don't want you to make an argument. They just want you to say I'm for or against. And, you know, recently we with a lot of your help people listening we helped get passed uh, at least through a senate California state senate committee uh it's SB14 a rule that will make human trafficking a serious crime in California which from a legal perspective it's not considered a serious crime today and that has failed year after year but this year it passed and a big part of it was because people called up just to say they supported and you know what politicians you know, some people are more cynical than I am on this, but I think politicians, most of them, they would like to get reelected. And if they get the feeling that maybe they're on the wrong side of the voters in their district, they change their mind. And a lot of the crazy stuff that's going on right now is happening, you know, sort of behind our back because we don't pay attention. We need to pay more attention. We need to write those letters. We need to call our representatives. It doesn't take long to just make a phone call. You don't always have – to. you don't have to be philosophical you just say I'm opposed to this, or I'm for this, and that's one thing you can do. All right, eight 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 five two eight two five five seven Stanley in Los Angeles. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show.
4: Hi, Pastor Scott. You know I listen to you uh, usually because I love your comments and your sober approach. However, I just don't understand why you don't see what's going on in a little more passion. You know, Jesus went to the temple and threw out the money changers. He didn't ask for a meeting with the board of directors and asked for a change of the rules whatever, he recognized something that was wrong. You know, what's going on right now in the United States is so obvious. All these people being flooding into the country without anything being done about it. Uh, to say, let's discuss it you know, we already have millions of people in the country now. And it can be a whole change in the demographics of the elections in the in the future. Mm-hmm. I think he was a leader and he have a passion, should have a little more passion. You're very sober. I like that. Uh, I couldn't see you during the day to hear your calm words, but I think sometimes we have to have a little passion and recognize what's really going on, and I'd like to hear that from you. Thank
1: you. All right. I appreciate your your call, Stanley. Uh, 888-528-2557. I get to talk about this every day, so I'm passionate about it, but one of the things I'm also passionate about is actually getting something done and helping people get something done. I think... I I believe that we actually can make changes in these things. I think, unfortunately, we're going to have to hurt first. That's what tends to happen. Uh, and that happens in our country, right, is that we get very complacent. That's been part of our history. And even when we know change, change needs to come, and that's the part that concerns me the most, is that we might have to hurt really bad. I don't think we have to wait. It's like being uh, repenting in your life of something you do need to repent of. You got to do it now because the longer you wait, the more it's going to hurt, right? The longer you mess around, the more you're going to find out, somebody said in uh, some different language a while ago, but it's pretty funny, uh, pretty right on about that. So I appreciate that call. Uh, let's see. Uh, Francis and Montebello, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show.
6: Hi, Pastor Scott. Hi, Francis. So, thank you. Yes. Yeah, so my thing right now is uh, it's just, I'm really struggling with some of my peers in the family of faith some of my brothers and sisters that are such adamant supporters of this administration i find it so so challenging to even carry a dialogue with them about what's going on because i feel like they're so blinded and i don't even understand how can they possibly not see it's it's so confounded i don't understand you know and and i think it's just their intense dislike for trump Mm -hmm. granted he's I, I just tell him he's a businessman. I mean, that's what he's learned to do. But he is certainly, you know, did amazing for the country. And they just can't see the decline that the administration has stepped in. And it's baffling to me that they can't see it.
1: Well, I think, you know, people need to, to look around. And maybe part of it is that we've become a country that puts too much um, – credit or blame on Washington and a lot of these problems have been developing for decades actually right, right? Uh, and yes. and part of it is because we we've become more about winning and losing on our side or even uh, I heard somebody say that Washington has become uh, like Hollywood and people just have positive or negative opinions about the performance except that it's real life and we forgot that that Washington is real life. Yes. And it's yes. affecting it. you know the decisions that are being made in Sacramento are the reasons we have so much homelessness in California. That's the reason. Uh, the Absolutely. reason we're having this border crisis is because of what's happening. The decisions have been made for years in Washington on this and it, you know I think that's part of it is that we kind of break off into our teams left and right or we don't like Trump or we don't like Biden or we don't like whoever it is and what we want is to see them defeated instead of wanting to see good people get into office and make good wise decisions for the country
5: yes that's thank got you.
1: that's got to change thank you francis for your call all right i got let's see if i can take one more here before the break don in la
4: yeah hi pastor scott um i called earlier this week and i wasn't able to listen to your show yesterday. I'm assuming that you covered Donald Trump's uh, CNN town
1: hall. I didn't get into much of it yesterday. I talked about it briefly, and that uh, I went to my kids' baseball game and ended up talking about why why it's important to sometimes get away. Uh, but we'll, we'll get to the uh, some of the town hall and and comments as uh, things move forward. Did well, you Did you I watch it, it, Don?
4: I I, I saw clips of it. Yeah. I, I as I I do want to sit down and watch it. It's two hours long. That's quite a bit of time. You yeah. Know? Uh, I would like to study it or whatever. But uh, from what I read, uh, uh, Joe Scarborough, a former former Republican congressman um, – morning, Joe – yeah, uh, has it right. He said that the bottom line of that whole thing was that Donald Trump couldn't get past the first question, which was does he still – is he still promoting the big lie? I mean a Joseph Goebbels-level
1: lie. The first questions the were – About, I don't know about calling everybody a Nazi. I'm not a big fan of that, but the first questions were about the uh, 2020, and Trump has a hard time not talking about it. You know, and he was asked about it, so he's going to talk about it, but I think he probably would have talked about it anyway.
4: Whether it's Joseph Goebbels or the communists or whoever, it's not a democratic attitude to play games with reality. Jesus said, We shall know the truth, and the truth shall make us free. It's right there in our court system the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. This man is such a volcano of lies. You can't even fact check him. But that's, that was the problem with this entire forum, is that he would not answer that question, which is such an obvious um, attempt to try to force his will upon the on, on the country. Hey,
1: Don, I'm way over time for the break. I got to go, but uh, your point is taken. Everybody, this is Pastor Scott Show, Friday edition. We'll be back open line Friday as the Friday edition continues. Stay tuned.